Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. Last week, we discussed our proclivity to follow the letter of the law while neglecting the heart of the law. Now, in uh, this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to confront our proclivity to seek loopholes in the law, to get around the law. Our son, Charlie, is at home this morning with COVID. Now, important caveat to this illustration. I don't have COVID. I tested negative Yesterday, I tested to make sure this morning I'm good. Even the CDC says I'm allowed to be here this morning, so don't treat me like a leper. So Charlie's been quarantined at home, and he doesn't like it. And yesterday, he got really frustrated uh, being stuck in the house on a gorgeous Saturday. And he said, Dad, why did you give me COVID? I said, I didn't give you COVID. I didn't have COVID. He said, yes, you did. You were the one that tested me when I wasn't feeling good, so it's your fault. I said, Charlie, the test didn't give you COVID. The test showed that you had COVID. Now, let me tell you how the mind of my Charlie works. He said, yeah, but the rules are if you test positive for COVID, you have to quarantine. If you never tested me, we wouldn't have tested positive, and I could be out playing with my friends, so it's your fault. Now, that's an interesting take on the rules, isn't it? If you have a positive test, you have to quarantine. Solution, just don't take the test. And you're not breaking any rules. And don't you sinners lie and tell me you haven't thought the exact same thing. (laughs) You little fever, little cough, I ain't taking that test. It's a helpful way to illustrate what Jesus is confronting in our passage. He uses three examples to expose our desire to get around God's law by finding loopholes in the law. We're going to explore it in two ways. Loopholes in the law and then love for the law. So when it comes to God's law, we're going to move from loopholes to love this morning. Let's start with this proclivity to bend the rules through loopholes. I'm going to go through each of these three examples and show this tendency to exploit the law through loopholes. Verse 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. So Old Testament law had a high view of marriage which protected women from being uh, treated as a commodity within the patriarchy of the day. In that age of human history, women were uh, used, abused, just cast aside like chattel. But according to Israel's law, men couldn't do that to women. They were bound by covenant to their wives. 
But there was a small caveat in Deuteronomy 24 that allowed for a certificate of divorce in the case of, quote, indecency. Now, that indecency was meant to be interpreted the way Jesus interprets it in the passage, the sexual adultery. But through the years, uh, scribes conveniently got very loose with that interpretation. Certificates of divorce could be handed out for just about anything deemed indecent. And so this loosely interpreted indecency clause became a loophole to, um, to, to lead to the opposite of the law's intention as women were just cast aside for any reason. They exploited the law to provide what essentially became divorce on demand. The next example Jesus uses has to do with oaths. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. That comes from Leviticus 19.12. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. Simple principle there, do not make a vow to God that you do not keep, and in so doing, profane the name of the God to whom you have sworn. Well, here's the loophole. We just won't make vows to the Lord. So a tradition arose where vows and oaths were taken in the name of heaven. Um, All these things that Jesus lists in the passage. and uh, Vows were taken in the name of heaven, earth, Jerusalem, or their own head. But never, ever, ever Yahweh. Well, this conveniently made room for deception and duplicity. One could easily break a vow and simply say, it's not like I swore to God. And so once again, a law designed for truth was exploited by a loophole that allowed for deception. Okay, the final example, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Leviticus 24 says, if anyone injures his neighbor as... As he has done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. Now, this section of Leviticus was instructions for their judicial courts. In the era of Israel's founding, the idea of a just and fair judicial system was an anomaly. In most cases, there was no system of justice at all. But when there was, it always favored the powerful, and was used for retribution, not justice. Well, God establishes a judicial system in his nation that served the purposes of justice, not power or vengeance. And it was governed by this simple principle, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. The punishment must fit the crime, and there are no exceptions, no favoritism toward the powerful, no vindictive retribution through the court system that goes beyond the crime committed, all submit to a system of equitable justice. Well, the way this law was exploited was by taking it from the realm of judicial courts into the realm of personal relationships. If someone wanted to get back at someone, they would quote this law, designed as a principle for Jewish courts as a means to justify their personal vengeance. In this way, the law that was intended to restrain Vengeance became a loophole to allow for vengeance. So in all three examples, Jesus is confronting this this fallen tendency, the proclivity of sinners to bend the rules of God's law, to find loopholes in God's law to misuse and manipulate the law for their own selfish purposes. But these are only symptoms of a much more insidious problem that all of us share. 
And it has to do with our disposition toward God's law. We don't like it. And we don't want to submit to it. Whenever we think of loopholes in the law for our context, the first thing that comes to mind probably is our tax code. The wealthy pay lawyers and CPAs a lot of money to find loopholes in our tax laws. Now, why are people trying to find those loopholes? Because they don't like paying taxes. Nobody likes paying taxes. I don't have enough wealth to search after loopholes, but if I did, I would. And I would venture to say those who begrudge the wealthy for doing so would do the same. Nobody likes giving their money to the government whether they want to admit it or not. We don't want to cheat, but you better believe if there's a loophole, we're going to exploit it. And it's this disposition of disdain for taxation that motivates and justifies finding loopholes to exploit. But suppose we love being taxed. Suppose we esteemed the tax laws of our nation. Would we go searching for loopholes? Absolutely not. If we truly love taxation, we would never search for ways to avoid it. And so the point I'm making is that Jesus is confronting something here that is less about finding loopholes in God's law and more about why are we searching for them at all. When we misinterpret, misuse, twist, and bend God's law, it reveals what we think of God's law. We don't love it, and we don't trust it. We want to escape it. We don't want God telling us what to do. We want to be our own God and decide for ourselves what to do. This was the original temptation that led to sin when Satan planted this seed of doubt. Did God really say the temptation he offered was to doubt the goodness of God's command? But brothers and sisters, as we heard in our Old Testament reading, the law of the Lord is good. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Of course it makes demands upon our lives, but those demands lead to human flourishing. We weren't made for no rules. We weren't made to create our own rules. We were made for God, and life is found in His rules. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever regretted obeying God's law. And by obedience, I don't mean religious fundamentalism, which we have seen in a previous sermon is another misuse of God's law. I mean virtue, virtuous practice. I mean personal holiness. I mean those times where you are tempted to sin and you tell yourself no. Have you ever regretted saying no to temptation and yes to God? I know it's hard. I know it can be costly. I know at times it may feel like a death, but in the end, does it lead to regret? Speaking personally, I have never once regretted obeying my God. No, my regrets, the wounds and scars that I bear, and unfortunately others bear because of me, every single one of them originated in a choice to obey Robert Cunningham rather than the God of Robert Cunningham. And I bet you can relate. Brothers and sisters, the law of the Lord is good. Don't seek to evade it. Submit to it. And Jesus is going to show us what that looks like. Let's move from loopholes in the law to a love for the law. 
It's interesting what Jesus does with each of these. He doesn't just close their supposed loopholes that they have invented. He takes the law that they manipulated through loopholes and challenges them with applications of those same laws that go even further than was originally commanded. Let me show you what I mean. Easiest example will be uh, the eye for an eye and tooth for two. So verse 38 says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for two. So remember, that law was given to establish a just legal system that could not be used for vindictive purposes. But they had taken it and used it for private vindictiveness. Well, watch what Jesus does here. He doesn't correct them, saying, you're taking that law out of context. You're you're, you're misusing it in ways that it was never intended to be used. Instead of correcting them by saying, that's not what the law means... He takes the law's actual meaning to crazy extremes. 39, I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, don't let the hyperbole derail his point here. These verses have been harmfully applied in, in many ways, most devastatingly, to excuse abusive behavior. He's not advocating for you allow, to allow yourself to submit to evil or be abused. So don't get distracted by the extreme details and miss the forest for the trees. Here's what he's doing. The law was given to prevent unjust revenge, but you're missing, misusing it for that very purpose. Instead of rebuking them and saying, stop being vindictive, he advocates for extreme, prodigious love, kindness, forgiveness, and so forth. He's saying, people who love my law don't seek loopholes around the law, what the law condemns. They go crazy with what the law commends. If you love the law of God, you're not asking, how can I get around it? You're asking, how can I further devote myself to it? Not how can I get away with revenge, but how can I get crazy with mercy? That's what Jesus does with all three of these. He says, you're you're seeking a loophole to get out of your marriage. Why not say, I am so committed to marriage that nothing will cause me to leave except for unrepentant adultery. He says, you are seeking a loophole that allows you to break a vow or oath. Why do you even have to take vows and oaths at all? Don't take them. Just be a person so committed to the truth that your yes is always yes and your no is always no. Do you see? He's challenging the way we approach God's law, moving us from loopholes to love. Do you view it as something to get around with loopholes or do you view it as something to go all in on with love? Those who love God's law Don't ask, how much can I get away with before it becomes disobedience? They ask, how much more can I obey? Because they genuinely view it as good. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also 
than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. That's true. The law of God is that good. And you should love it. But we are conditioned to hate it. And that hatred manifests itself in two ways. The first is our fallen nature that wants to rebel against it. As I already said, by nature, we don't want God's rules. We want to make our own rules. But there's another reason that we are conditioned to dislike the law, even after we are born again with a new nature. And this one is true for our tradition in particular. Protestant Reformed Christianity is rightly unwavering on salvation by grace alone. We are not saved by obeying the law of God, but by the grace of God alone. All of that is true, and we will never compromise that truth. But my concern is that this this can lead to a diminishing of the importance of God's law. Christian, saved by grace alone through faith alone, you are supposed to obey God. And there is great peril when you do not obey God's law. You see, there are two penalties to disobeying the law. We tend to emphasize one at the exclusion of the other. I'll illustrate it with our traffic laws. We have laws that limit how fast you can speed in our country. If you break those laws, you get a penalty, a speeding ticket. And so an easy gospel illustration here is that if you break the laws, Jesus, by sheer unmerited grace, pays our fines for our transgression with his death. And in this way, you don't have to suffer the consequences of that law. That tends to be the way we think in our tradition, and we should. But there's another consequence to breaking the speed limit that we tend to neglect. And it comes down to why the law is there in the first place. If you drive your car too fast, you can lose control and get in a wreck, harming you and others, perhaps even fatally. That's the penalty of breaking God's law that we tend to neglect. My little back and forth with Charlie ended with this. Charlie, you have COVID. You could get get around that with a loophole of not taking a test, but you have COVID. What if we chose not to test you? What if you went and hung out with your grandfather who has cancer or your other grandfather who has COPD and you gave them COVID? It may not be serious for you, but it'd be deadly for them. That's why that rule to test you is in place. And if we broke that rule, there could be serious consequences. And he got it. Friends, by the grace of Jesus Christ, you are free from eternal condemnation of breaking God's law. But just because the law can no longer condemn you does not mean that you should cast it aside. You do so at your own peril. Love the law of God. For in obedience to it, you will find abundant life. And in breaking it, you will ruin your life and the lives of others. But that's not even our ultimate motivation. Ultimately, We obey the law because we love the Lord of the law. Jesus could not be clearer. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you love Jesus? That question is not answered by words but actions.
Jesus loves his law so much that he would die for it. It was love that led him to Calvary. Yes, love for sinners who broke his law, but also love for the law that we have broken. Why did he have to die? Why couldn't he just say, don't worry about it, all is forgiven, we're fine? Because the law he wrote demands more. Were he to simply cast aside condemnation that the law demands, he would cast aside the law itself as no big deal. And he will not. Indeed, he cannot. He loves the law. Someone must be condemned. And so out of love for sinners and the law, he takes the condemnation that the law deserves. Do you love the Savior who died in your place? If so, obey the law he loves. Woe be to us if we turn the gospel itself into a loophole. I'm forgiven, so I don't have to obey. The gospel was not given to create a loophole in the law. It was given to create a love for the law. His grace leads us to repentance. How? So in love with the Savior who purchased grace with his bloody cross, our life's ambition becomes honoring him with our obedience. His grace is so radical that technically we don't have to obey, but nobody who has known his radical grace thinks that way. We don't have to obey him, but now we want to obey him. And in this way, the gospel alone is able to reorient our disposition toward the law back to the way it was intended. It is no longer our duty, but our delight. This is the meaning of Paul's words in our assurance of pardon. You are not under law, but under grace. It's true. You are not under law. You don't have to obey God's law for God to love you. But you are under grace. The grace of Jesus, not the law of Jesus, is now in charge of your life. But what that grace forges in those who do not have to obey is a profound desire to obey. And in this way, the law is fulfilled because we don't have to be told what to do. We want to do what we are to do. So do you love Jesus? Then don't turn his gospel into a loophole for disobedience. Instead, Allow his gospel to fuel your obedience. If you love me, he says, then keep my commands. Let me pray. Help us, O Jesus, we do love you and we want to obey. But we, we confess that too often we don't, we fall short. That desire is there. We love you. Would you give us grace to love you more? Would this table of your sacrifice, fuel our love for you and overflow in our obedience to you. Help us to keep your commands, not just because they are good and lead to a good life, but because they honor the Savior that we love. And we pray in your name. Amen.